Redbeard's Outfitter is a Mobile, Alabama-based outfitter offering a carefully curated selection of gear and apparel, outfitting you for your next adventure, exploring our world, and building community. We love this local store and we love supporting folks like them who are building community in the outdoor space. Plus, they have some spectacular apparel for Alabamians and all the gear anyone would need to be ready to enjoy the outdoors. Use promo code TSO for a 20% discount online or visit them in store. Visit redbeardsoutfitter.com for more information. This is the Storied Outdoors, a podcast somewhere between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark, finding clarity in the stories we tell and the adventures that shape us. Welcome to the Storied Outdoors. My name is Brad Hill, and I'd like to welcome you to a part two of a two-part series where we sat down in the home of Sergeant Amos Benjamin, a mental health advocate and avid outdoorsman. We pick up right where we left off with Amos sharing his story. I know it's a little bit longer than we're used to, but we make the rules. This is our podcast, and we wanted to honor Amos's story, and so we just couldn't stop recording. We were riveted by his story, and we hope you to our um, just learn we learned a ton and have a deep respect for Amos and the things that uh, he's sharing so we wanted to jump right back in part two Amos Benjamin here we go and at that point a lot of the guys I'd grown close with were missing limbs shot killed I mean the war at that point was just full throttle like it, I felt like the losses were more than the gain daily mm. And it's not a good mindset to have when you're going over there about to do what we're about to do. And I had great teammates. My, my squad going into that deployment were the, those were the greatest guys I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. And um, while we were on that deployment, and I outlined this in the book too, um, there was a squad in contact and they were in a, bad firefight for most of the day and they took a few casualties um a loss um scott harper got killed that day and he was scott was loved by everybody in our platoon um just uh, just heart of gold man the happiest kid you've ever seen all the time came from a great family he's from georgia and uh I mean, his dad, Brian, still, like, to this day, has everybody at his house. He's just, I mean, a first-class guy. And he's really just become, like, family. I mean, when stuff like that happens, you do, you become family. And it doesn't matter how much time goes by. When you get to connect, it's like you never left. Mm. And uh, Scott's best friend, um, Andrew Kisper, was in my team. And... Kispert and I are still best friends to this day. And, you know, our kids are the same age and everything. We text daily. Um, and Kispert, that was the hardest thing I ever had to tell that guy. Mm. Was because you don't hear that someone passes over a live net. It's something that comes across 
on a private net and then you disperse the information as needed. Mm. And we're all listening to everything happening. I tell Kispert, Scott passes and then our patrol base gets attacked. I mean, within 10 minutes. So it's like ultimate low to bam, full throttle adrenaline, rounds coming in, the whole nine. We hit this building with an airstrike and we now have to take that building from the guy shooting at us. Like we're going, we're going to kick this door in, lay these guys down, whatever we have to do to stop what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, we hit this building with two rockets. I mean, like rounds are flying everywhere. It is, it's still like chaotic to think about to this day. Uh, but I got hit with the blast of two rockets and woke up in this field. Everything's dark. And my teammates over me, I felt like my arm was like severed off. I just kept saying, like, oh, my arm's gone, my arm's gone, my arm's gone. But it was just shrap metal that had hit my arm um, from the blast. And I gathered myself. Um, our team still hit that house. Did what we had to do. We got back to the patrol base. But I was out of it. I, I, I hardly remember a lot of that evening other than talking to the corpsman and like telling, you guys can't medevac me. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I can't go home. And having to tell your teammates that your brother died mm-hmm. and you're still there. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of guys were like, are you an idiot? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you doing here, man? Mm-hmm. Um, but we made you know a group decision of, hey, we're we're gonna let this fly under. You guys monitor me. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Dumbest decision I ever made in my life. I mean, I had from that point on, I had debilitating headaches. Um, I mean, gosh, migraines. I couldn't taste or smell anymore. My balance was messed up. I couldn't sleep. I was getting like two to three hours of broken sleep a night. Like everything was just coming apart. Rode that adrenaline high through that deployment. And when I came home, it was just chaos. Like at that point, like my I, everything was going a million miles an hour in my head. I'm, at that point, sleep deprivation was five months down the road. Hmm. Um headaches getting worse I couldn't go outside without sunglasses and even if I was outside I had a really really dark lens and I went to my team Corman I just said like hey man I, I'm really messed up still and he's like well, let's let's go check let's get you checked out um, and I mean even overseas like we went up to the battalion eight or the company Corman position and did whatever we could do to convince them that I was good mm-hmm well, coming back, still messed up. They're like, let's go get some tests done. Let's, let's let's see what's going on. And I had brain swelling. And the medical officer was like, hey, there's this hyperbaric treatment in Florida. Let's send you down there. So I was like, hey, cool, whatever. I guess I'll go. And in my mind, I was like, go down, do this treatment, come back, get in the rotation, boom, gone again. Mm-hmm. Like, get fixed up. We're good. And I wanted to do the hyperbaric versus other alternatives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, I'll go breathe some air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one's taking a Makita to my head. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we get down there, 
And it was, it was like a weird feeling. Cause it, we're, I'm out. I'm now a patient. I don't have to wear my uniform. I'm wearing scrubs to this hyperbaric tank, but I'm in total isolation. Mm-hmm. Say like you're, you've been going, 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 and now like because you're only you're not carrying your headphones in there or anything. Screeching halt. Mm-hmm. Everything's quiet, and you're by you're left with your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I was left with my thoughts in a hotel room by myself. Oof. I was left with my thoughts at treatment. The guys I was down there with, I wasn't, like, we were strangers to each other. Yeah. It wasn't your team. Yeah. It wasn't the guys I'd been living with. And so we weren't totally embraceive of one another either. It was just, hey, man, like we're here to hang out if you want to hang out. But when you come back from an adrenaline filled, chaotic deployment, and now you're on the beach in Florida with no accountability other than to be at treatment, <laughs> the party scene becomes very appealing. Mm. Distraction city. Absolutely. It was it was destruction city. Oh, mm. I mean, because like when you're as sleep deprived as we were at that point from brain injury, because you know, brain injury, that's the first thing is like sleep deprivation. Your sleep is totally screwed up. Mm. My adrenal function was messed up. So my body was just pumping adrenaline all the time. Like my resting heart rate when I was like during the sleep study was like 140 something beats a minute. Jeez. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. No, you aren't good. (laughs) You're really not good. Like we were waking up. Well, I could, I say waking up, like stumbling into treatment. They did our vitals every morning. And these guys were like, you guys drink Monster before you come in here or something? Like, pre-workout? Like, what is wrong with you? We're leaking sweat. And it's like, what, are you guys good? I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> They're like, you all need to calm down. And, like, we couldn't. I mean, like, I couldn't. I couldn't shut anything off. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it wasn't that I was, like, sitting in my hotel room drinking, but I was out at the beach drinking all day. And then it was like, oh, there's bar bingo tonight. Let's go drink and do that. Like, oh, there's... You know, it's happy hour. Oh, it's this. Uh, it's this ladies' night here. It's uh, and like it's just out and about all the time. And normally, people would think like, "Oh man, these guys are out just living the good life." It's like, no, I was out trying to drink myself to sleep every night, but make it look normal. Mm-hmm. I was still interacting with society. I was still doing everything like a normal person would do, but deep down, I was coming apart at the seams. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, while I was down there, um, I met Courtney, and that was unique for me because when, when my brother died, I shut off any sort of affectionate feeling I could have for another human being. So one of the blessings in I look at now and my brother passing was that he didn't have a family. He didn't have a wife. He didn't have kids. Mm. It, they, when he was gone, it, we didn't. I didn't have to think about telling a kid about who his dad was Mm. anything like that it was just you got to deal with loss figure out how you're going to move on and then try to find happiness again Mm. um but when i met courtney it was she was the first person i felt calm around Mm. and it was was, that was weird for me because i was always like high strung and go 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 
And uh, we started hanging out a bunch every day. Um, the drinking slowed down. I started to feel human again. Um, we hung out for the next couple months while I was down there, but then I had to go back to Camp Lejeune. And when I got back to Camp Lejeune, they're like, hey, you're going to get moved over to Wounded Warrior Battalion East. I'm like, huh? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you're going to, you're put up for medical retirement. Like you can't stay in the Marine Corps anymore. Mm-hmm. And at that point, like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to think. It was just like, but I saw the next 20 years of my life mm-hmm. right here. Wearing this camouflage pattern. What, what am I going to do without the Marine Corps? Mm. Well, now what? <laughs> mm. Well, you know, I went from this high-functioning, weightlifting, running, infantrymen to patient. Mm. Screeching halt. Every bit of it. And I was like, what the heck? Well, so I spent time there, got discharged. And uh, Courtney and I still stayed in touch. I'd visit her on the weekends. She'd come up and see me. Um, And we agreed that I was going to move to Florida. And she was going to help me get into school and keep going. Um, I get down there, can't really find help for anything. So it was really just like go to school and figure it out. Uh, Just kind of did it on the fly. And uh, that's where, you know, the football opportunity presented itself. Started coaching. She was getting her master's at Florida State. And, uh, I mean, that was a great transition for me, like we talked about mm-hmm. before. It mm-hmm. was it was a locker room. It was a team. It was a we, not me mentality. Um, structure, places to be, accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was so much fun. But the whole time I was there, I was still just, like, slowly unraveling. Still not healing oh yeah like football was a big distraction for me yeah it was fun mm-hmm. i didn't have to think about trauma mm-hmm. but every time that national anthem played before a game Oof. oh gosh Wreck, wrecked you wrecked me inside mm. and it was just i always every time i went left i felt pulled right every time i went right i felt pulled left and i i just never could find balance um and so I did the football thing until Courtney was done with her master's. And then when she had the opportunity to move to, uh, for us to go to Connecticut, you know, we got married before we moved up there. Um, but it was both of us were like fish out of water up there. We never, none of us had ever lived in New England. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd lived in the Southeast at that point for over a decade. So Southeast was home to me. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going total opposite. Um, and when I got up there, you know, PhD is grueling. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, it was really, for a lot of it, she was at school all the time. I was trying to do my undergraduate degree. Um, and uh, I couldn't find any community up there. And I had isolated. I didn't want to be around veterans. But if I did want to be around people, that's who I sought out. Mm-hmm. Well, like, kids in New England don't go to the Marine Corps. They don't go to the Army. They go to Harvard. Mm. They go to Yale. They go to UConn. They go to Syracuse. These prestigious universities. And the veteran community was like non-existent to me. So I didn't really have a resource I could tap into. Mm. 
Um, Bunch of World War II guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like nickel beer night at the VFW. Woo! <laughs> Um, and so up there the isolation got worse and I was disgruntled up there because I I was very apprehensive about moving to a place with cold weather Mm. I left the cold weather after high school living in northeast Ohio and my intentions was to never live in a cold weather climate again Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and and I was committed to that (laughs) and uh you know, it was weird, and going to a place where you don't know anyone, when you're dealing with as much as I was dealing with, isolating, not dealing with trauma that I had sustained over and over and over again, um, hurt, loss, injury, a brain that was just coming, coming apart daily, I was just a mess. And I felt like a huge burden to her. I mean, like she's trying to achieve, you know, a, a, a terminal degree, mm-hmm. and she's coming home to this like emotional wreck at home. <laughs> oh. <Wow. laughs> and so, uh, you know, I was up there and, and I connected with this this hunting group, and um, I got invited to Texas to go on this deer hunt, and. I didn't really want to. I'm not a big fan of shooting with people I've never shot with before. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear all the time about accident. Someone accidentally got shot, and you find out it's some who never handled a gun before. Or just yeah. like, hey, man, look how cool this is. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I get it. Going to uh, a deer hunt, especially like where I was going, it was in San Angelo, Texas, which is like way south Texas. I mean, you're you're really really far down south, and Courtney's all the way in Connecticut. We don't know anybody up there. <laughs> like mm. leaving her by herself, even if it was for a long weekend, was just kind of weird to me. But I was at the point where I needed a break, like a a, a big break. Um, and uh, man, it it was actually two months before that in October was when I went on that elk hunt with Joey. (laughs) And when I was on that elk hunt with Joey, it was really one of the first times that nature gave me the break I needed. Mm. Where I was like sitting on side of a mountain, you didn't have to think about anything, you're just like, you're listening to elk bugle. Mm. It's like, I thought, I gotta do more of this. Maybe one of the coolest sounds too. Mm. Like oh, a, there's nothing like hearing elk bugles. Really, sends chills up my spine, so, man. Yeah, mm, that's cool. And uh, because of how I felt on that hunt, it kind of gave me a little bit more encouragement to go on this deer hunt. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, do you want do you want to talk about the Joey hunt before I get into this deer hunt? <laughs> I think. I think. I think so. <laughs> Just let's, wait, no, let's do it at the end. Okay, let's, let's do it at the end. All right. Yeah. Well, so, um, so I go down to San Angelo, and I had no idea what was going to happen. I, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, well, we get down there, and we were greeted by hundreds of the most patriotic Americans you've ever seen. <laughs> the whole airport, like, there's, dude, there was, I'm not kidding, like, 30 dudes on this hunt. 
Wow. And I'm like, oh gosh. I like hanging out with a veteran or two every now and again, but not 30. Mm-hmm. And of course, like when you're in the Marine Corps, it's like all these dudes are Army guys. There's a couple Air Force guys, a couple Navy guys, and there's like one Marine over there. And it's always like, hey, bro. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, even in a large group setting, we still find our pack. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, we get down there, there's like a parade, we all go to this hotel, and there's like 10 ranch owners, 15 ranch owners, and there's like, there's a group, small groups of us going to different ranches. And uh, I was the only guy that didn't have a ranch assigned to him. And I'm like, great. <laughs> Come down here. Now I don't have anywhere I'm supposed to be. <laughs> well, this guy Danny comes up to me, and... He's like, you're coming to my ranch. He's like, I'll handle it. I'm like, okay. I don't know anything about anything. I'm just going with the flow. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's funny because some people are like, only dead fish go with the flow. Well, I was that dead fish that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, we, you know, this ranch is called Poverty Canyon Ranch. Mm. And I was like, that sounds, that sounds like a pretty cool po- place. Poverty Canyon Ranch. Yeah, Poverty Canyon Ranch. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And one of the other ranchers made a joke. He goes, you're going far away from poverty when you go to Poverty Canyon. And I was <laughs> oh, like, <boy>. oh, gosh. <laughs> we get there, bro. It was like it was like going to Africa. Wow. I mean, like, unbelievable. Just animals everywhere. Animals everywhere. Like, this house, the lodge is on top of this mountain. And it is... It's not just a lodge, dude. Like, it was the nicest place I'd ever been. Mm. I was like, we're far away from poverty. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) You get it. And uh, we were all there to hunt, and we all like we all shot a deer, um, and the uh, it was the end of the season, Mm -hmm. like I guess, and and there was a lot of you know when you. When you're at those massive high fence ranches, there's a management thing where they have to kill so many doe. They call stuff out. Well, we had a really, really unique group of dudes there. And, uh, you know, the ranch hands were like, hey, you guys, we're going to go shoot some of these call animals, some of these doe. We're going to do some management. Let's go. So it's like, sweet. So we all like, you know, we'd already shot our deer that we were supposed to shoot on the hunt, but now we're like going out like the wild, wild west. Like, let's go do this, man. <laughs> have so many visions of- so like I, like you know shoot this axis doe another guy and i shot a act like this coal axis buck um another dude shoot like shooting does like broke horn animals like it, mm. you know just doing conservation so that the health of the other herds on the property stay the way they're supposed to mm-hmm. well i'm in a deer blind and uh with the guide and my sister calls me and I'm totally like estranged from my family at this point. Like okay. I, after my brother died, you know, I just started deploying, focusing on myself, imploding at a rate I couldn't control. And uh, it just, I just went through life as like worry about yourself. Mm. That's it. And when she called, I'm like. Uh, and my dad and I always kept a great relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he he struggled a lot with um, a back injury that he got a month after I was born 
Um, and he was on pain medication like my whole life. And when, uh, when my brother died, it really, I mean, I can't imagine, like, not, especially now that I have a son, I couldn't imagine losing that little guy. Mm. So I can't imagine what my dad was feeling. Right. But, you know, I, for the first time ever in my life, I was seeing my dad drink alcohol. I was seeing like just things I never saw before happen more and more and more and more and more. And it was the most healthy, toxic relationship I ever had hmm. because I knew how I felt and I felt like my dad was the most comfortable relationship I had because it was doing the same thing to him that it was doing to me. Hmm. And we were both doing it to ourselves. Hmm. And so I felt a lot of comfort in that. We're like, good, I don't, I'm not the only one feeling this way. And so when my sister called, I'm like, man, I'm not dealing with any home crap. Like, if it's that poor, my dad will call me. So I declined, declined, declined. The guy was like, dude, just take the phone call, man. He's like, and that's what I was thinking in my head. I was like, if it's bad enough, my dad will call me. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I haven't talked to them in years. Why am I going to pick up the phone and, and deal with that? And uh, when I called, my sister was, or when she called, I answered. And uh, she was like, hey, you need to come home. And I just like laughed. <laughs> like, I'm not coming home. Are you kidding me? Like, and I knew, I'm like, finally took a weekend for me. <laughs> I'm finally like, I'm down here like having a good time. Down at Poverty Canyon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having a good time. And of course. Like you're gonna call me with some BS, and and I start and I just went like down that like attacking mentality again, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm not coming home. She's like, you need to come home right now. Dad shot himself, and at that point I quit. Like I just oh. like I sat there, and I'm staring at like my bolt action rifle. And I'm in this hunting blind. And it it was the first time in my life I ever quit. Mm. And but it wasn't like quit, I just I had nothing left to give. I had nothing. It was like I'm a burden to my wife. My brain, my body. I'm not, good, I'm not good to the Marines anymore. Right? Yeah, like lost the Marine Corps. Lost everybody who ever meant anything to me. My, you know, my roommate Josh Twig. Um, he was he was my roommate that was with me uh, when I found out about my brother, and he died on my second deployment. And so I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, my brother's gone, my friends are gone, EJ's gone, my dad's gone, the Marine Corps's gone. I got nothing left to give. You can't take anything else from me. Um, and at that point I'm thinking like like shoot my wife doesn't even enjoy being around me mm. like, you can't take anything else from me and I looked at that gun and I was like I'm out of here part of life and there I was again like I'm going to retreat one more time and I, I sat there and I was just like 
God, if you have something for me, you better do something right now because I'm about to see you in five seconds. And I did. I made that conscious decision. Like, I'm going to grab that gun, flick that safety off, and put it in my mouth and pull the trigger before this guy even knows what's about to happen. And I didn't even care about that dude in the blind. Like, I was like, he'll figure it out. I figured it out. Like, this is one traumatic thing he's seen. He doesn't have to worry about it. He'll figure it out. There was, and I, so I did. I was just like, if you got something for me, God, you better tell me because I'm out of here. And I felt this the most undeniable feeling just take over my entire body. And it was like, I didn't, it was like I wasn't even, it was like floating. Like it's, there was no like points of pressure on my body. There was no pain. There was no achiness. There was no head fog. It was just the most peaceful feeling that I had ever felt in my entire life. And it was like, I couldn't deny it. And I was just like, what in the world? And it was just kind of like one of those things where like you feel like yourself, like something pushed you to sit up. And I'm like, holy crap, like that has to be what I just cried out for kind of thing. Mm. There's no other way to describe it. Um, And I just turned and looked at the guide and I was like, I think I need to go home. And he was like, let's get you up to the lodge. He's like, just put that gun in the corner. We'll come back and get the stuff later. And at that point, like, it hit me. Like, I got out of the blind and I got down to the Polaris and I just lost it. And, like, right back down negative lane. And I started to panic. And my brain was just going a million miles an hour. And I'm like, I'm in San Angelo, Texas. I got to go to a dang airport. My changeover is going to be through DFW. I gotta go to Connecticut, then to pick up a wife that wants to punch me in the face. Then I gotta go to Ohio, and then I gotta come back, and then I, I and I just like I just started to overwhelm myself, and I was like, what in the world? And so I get up to the ranch, and uh, the ranch owner Danny Knox is there, and I'm like, oh, I'm a burden to this guy who just like let me have an awesome weekend down here, a weekend I'd never be able to afford to provide for myself. Mm -hmm. And now here I am like a burden to this man. And he like walked straight up to me, put his hands on my shoulders and he's like, Hey, said, and he already knew, I didn't know, but he already knew somehow. He's like, I have a jet. He said, it's going to take you to Connecticut. You're going to get your wife. Um, It's going to fly you to Cleveland I paid for a hotel for two weeks and you'll have access to a car and a driver the whole time you're there if you need anything call me wow and I sat there I'm like like bro you got a jet (laughs) 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 what (laughs) and he's like you know Go hang out in your room. Take all the time you need. He's like, we'll see you in the morning. And this is like, you know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I just did. I just disappeared up to my room. I don't know. I don't even know what happened up there. I just, the next morning, I came down and uh, we got in his truck. 
And I mean, sure enough, we drive right to the airport, pull through the gate, go right onto the airway, uh, runway. Just drive out and of the tarmac. Literally. <laughs> like, and there's a jet sitting out there already fired up. Door drops down. He fist bumps me and he grabbed my hand and he said, if you need anything, call me. Mm. I was like, yes, sir. Mm. Truck door opens up. I walk right up the jet door. I have the jet all to myself. Door closes. Jet takes off. Wow. And I'm like, like, what in the world? Like, what is happening right now? Mm. We get up to Connecticut. My wife's um, my wife's already like at the FBO port. Jet pulls up. Door walks down. Dog gets on. My wife gets on. Door shuts. Jet takes off. We were maybe on the ground for five minutes. Jeez. And I'm like, what the world? Land in Cleveland. Jet door comes down. There's a car driver waiting right there. He unloads all of my stuff. Puts it in the car. Drives me to a hotel. I'm like, and dude was there the whole time. Like, holy smokes. And I'm, you know, I do the do the funeral stuff and I told my wife too I was like look I can't stay here long we're doing the funeral and I gotta get out of here like I can't I can't stay up here mm-hmm. where it's gonna do nothing but bring me down and I never went home because of that like I knew I'd fall back into the old lifestyle I'd find the comforts of home and just never do anything with my life and so that's what we did we did we did the funeral and we went back to Connecticut and uh I dwelled on that feeling I felt in that blind for the next couple of weeks. Just like, what was that one? And did I just really fly on a jet? Did all is all this stuff like really happening? Um, and then Joey called me, Joey Jones, and he's like, "Hey man, you good?" And we talked a little bit. And I'm like, "No, <laughs> no, I'm not good." <laughs> and he was like, "Well, you want to go down to Texas on a deer hunt?" And I thought it was a joke. And like, man, it. I was on fire. Like, this isn't a time to joke with me right now, especially in Texas on a deer hunt. Like, like oh, not, not good timing, man. Yeah, like, <laughs> nah, man. <laughs> no, too soon. Yeah, too, too soon. soon. Yeah. And uh, he called me every day for like two weeks. And then next thing you know, I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. And I'm headed out to this ranch and I get there. And it's just me and Joey and the ranch owner, Randy Cup. Randy's, he, man, that's one of the most hard knock cowboys I've ever met. <laughs> like, like, he, when you think about Texas, like, he is Texas. Like, quintessential cowboy. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, just hard knock, man, big old hard hands. And I was just like, oh, this is a serious dude. We ain't in Poverty Canyon no more. I'm like, holy smokes. Like, what Clint Eastwood movie were you in, bro? Like, <laughs> holy moly. And uh, Randy didn't say much to me. He welcomed me. We hung out at the ranch. And I'm just going, like, please don't put me in a blind with that guy. <laughs> well, Amos drew the short straw. And I was in a blind with Randy Cup the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really uncomfortable for me. Because I don't, like I said, like, I don't want to be around guns with people I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know. I, I was really just not in a good place. I mean, this is now... You're looking at eight years of 
compartmentalization, not dealing with anything, brain injury untreated, like not being able to find help, chaos at all times. And uh, shot a deer, we're hanging out a couple more days, and I, I just had to get out of there. I, I was, you know, I was grateful, it was awesome, mm-hmm. but like I was really uncomfortable around Randy at that time. It was great seeing Joey. But I just needed to be by myself. Mm. Like I, I didn't want people around me, and uh, I was still struggling with what I felt in the deer blind. You know, a few weeks earlier, I was still struggling with like wanting to live or not. And uh, so I was like, "I'm out of here. I'm going home." And before I left, like you know, this is Randy had said 15 words to me the whole time I'm there for three days, and. I was like, you know, thank you for having me. It was nice meeting you. And shakes my hand and like pulls me in and puts his arm around me. And I was just like, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa now. Like, What's happening? <laughs> and he's like, hey, I just want you to know I'm really proud of you. And dude, man, you talk about getting under my skin. <laughs> like, I'm like, you're proud of me. Like, dude doesn't say 15 words to me. And I'm proud of you. Four words. That's four of the 15 words you're going to say to me right before I leave. And like I didn't know how to take it, I was, but I was real mad. Hmm. I'm thinking, like, I'm going to punch this dude out in his own house. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it stirred in me because I'm like, man, I'm not proud of myself. Hmm. Like, wow. like, what have I done to be proud of? Like, I'm just this burden to everyone I go to. I haven't done anything since I got out of the military. I'm trying to do the best I can. But, like, I'm not proud of myself. So what the heck do you see in me? And uh, for weeks that went on, like a couple weeks later, I decided to, like, go visit my brother. And he lived in Chicago at the time. And my wife was interviewing for this potential position at Northwestern. And I was like, all right, I'll go. Like, I didn't see my brother in years at that point, my younger brother. And, and like, he and I didn't have a bad relationship. We just didn't really have a relationship. He was a lot younger when I left for the military, and there was just this, this big time gap, mm-hmm. you know, of we were awkward ages apart kind of thing. And my life experience was totally different to, like, whatever he was doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, when I was up there, Randy called me. And when I saw his name pop up on my phone, I got real irritated. And it's like, you go through that like tough guy mentality, like, you know, if mm-hmm. I ever see that some again, mm-hmm. I'll have a few <laughs> things to say to him. <laughs> I'm glad you called, Randy. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm like pumping myself up. And like, you got something. Hello? <laughs> and he's like, hey, man, how you doing? And, you know, it was a very very brief and I didn't really have anything to say to him but I heard him out and he's like hey uh, I think I can help you will you take a phone call I'm like sure why not Mm -hmm. and so I hang up on him and my phone started ringing immediately from another number from Texas I was like what in the world so I pick up the phone and like that same feeling I felt in the deer blind just like took over my whole body again. Mm. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna really pay attention to this. Like it, it just, it's one of those things to where it like snaps you into reality of mm. like hone in here, this is important. 
So when I, when I felt that, I I wanted to just like focus more on that. And, you know, so I, like, hello. And sweetest voice I've ever heard in my life just goes, hey, is this Amos? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You called me. I assume so. (laughs) And she said, you know, my name is Kara Williams. I'm with the Brain Treatment Foundation. I had no idea anything about them. I didn't know who she was, but I assumed, like, obviously this is who Randy wanted me to talk to. Right. And so, you know, she said, you know, I understand you're dealing with some brain stuff. You know, we talked for a while. And... And she said, well, you know, I think I can help you. And I'm like, "Mm, I got a lot of baggage. (laughs) Hmm. I don't know if you're going to be able to help me. (laughs) (laughs) You you sound really sweet. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of like, and I, I really, you know, had I not felt the way I felt in that moment, I don't know if I would have even paid any further attention. Mm. I was like, all right. She said, I, you know, I have this doctor in Boston and I want you to go see her. I think she can really help you. And I was living in East Hartford, Connecticut at the time. Yeah, so Boston's not terribly far away. Yeah. I mean, 45 minutes to an hour. And so I'm like, all right. And I go see this woman I'm drive over there and I just feel real weird. Like the whole way over, just paying attention to like feeling deer blind, feeling how I'm feeling. Like okay, I walk into this this office, and it was one of those offices. It's not a traditional doctor's office. When I walked in, it felt like you walked into a house, mm. like someone's house. Like it's very, very comfortable. And uh, this little bitty woman walks out. Her name's uh, Kathleen, and she goes hey, are you Amos? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, come on back. I was the only person in that office other than her and her assistant. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is different. Okay, so we go back and, you know, one of the things Kara told me, she said, bring every piece of medical record you have. Bring your blood work, bring everything. She's going to, you know, look through all of it. And I'm like, you know how much paper that is? I'm going to have to rent a U-Haul. <laughs> yeah, like, holy smokes. So... I do, and, uh, you know, we're talking, and this is like a four-hour appointment. She's flipping through all this stuff, and, you know, we're just talking about everything. And she's like, I'm going to fix you. Wow. And I'm just like, like that. Yeah, and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I appreciate your confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> uh, and I mean, from the time I got hit till this moment like I had like it, I never felt like I got unconcussed mm. like, my head was always foggy I never really could think clearly just a perpetual state of concussion yeah and it was just like this lady is either out of her mind or she is that dang good <laughs> so she took a bunch of blood and uh, she's like I'm, I'm gonna see you next week like, all right so uh, I come back like a week later, a few days later, whatever it was, and uh, she had all my blood results back and everything. And she's like, we're going to get you feeling good today. I'm like, okay. 
Well, I go into this you know room where she's got like this. It's kind of like a dental chair, hospital chair, whatever, mm-hmm. where you could have like or you know IV bags hanging up and stuff. And there's like this really bright yellowy color one. There's like this other one that looked like a bucket of rust water was dumped into it. There's a clear one, and I'm like kind of like ah. Oh. FDA approved. Yeah, it was just kind of one of those things where I'm like, "What? Where are you gonna put that stuff?" (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and uh, I was like, "So, uh, what are you gonna do with that?" And she's like, "We're gonna put that in you." And in my mind, I'm like, "No, you're not." (laughs) Like, nah. Well, so I'm sitting there. She starts hooking all this stuff up to me, and she's like, "Explain to me what's gonna happen." She's like, "Look." I looked at your blood results and you know I'm gonna put stuff in you that you've been deficient for for a long time this is all stemming from your brain injury mm-hmm. where your body doesn't have this it doesn't have this it doesn't have this wow. because of your pituitary dysfunction because of too much adrenaline for too much cortisol and this is gonna this is gonna um, detoxify your brain from all the crap you've been breathing in from overseas from the burn pit from just junk and I'm like what in the world sure whatever I mean at this point it's like this is the only person that's been willing to help me Mm. let's give it a try yeah like out of everything I've tried to do to feel better it's been nothing like this Mm -mm. and uh, she did she hooked up this one IV and she started pumping it into me and like my brain fog cleared like that oh my gosh and I was like holy I'm telling you, like she wasn't kidding. No, I, I didn't. I couldn't like even put into words what I was feeling. And then I just started to like, like all these endorphins start circulating and like, you know, different f- hormones that she's putting in me. Like I start like my body was starting to wake up and like come alive. And I'm like, holy smokes! Like what is this? And she's like, how do you feel? And I'm like, I feel really good. And this stuff's dripping in me for like 45 minutes. Once all the bags are gone, she's like, you know, you got to sit here for a little bit. And she puts more stuff down an IV. And I'm sitting there like, oh, my gosh. Mm. Did I just do drugs? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, thinking like, you know, it's like, I like these drugs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Can I take some of this home with me? <laughs> and I, she was like, look, I, I need you to come back in a month. We're going to do these every couple weeks. Da-da-da-da. And I'm like, Okay. Like, you didn't have to convince me. You're in. Like, I I don't like needles, but I like these ones. Yeah. Like, like do whatever you got to do. And, like, my mouth watered, I remember, for, like, six hours that day. It just kept watering. I'm like, I started getting an appetite again. I went home and, like, was sleeping. I, I, I couldn't believe what I was feeling. And uh, now I'm, gosh, two and a half, three. Oh, gosh, it's even longer than that now. Three or four years later, like I still get some of these treatments, but like it totally flipped mm. everything about so where your I body was. was just totally dysregulated, like in every possible way. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I so mean, this is like a, a reset. She reset your system. Yeah, like I, I didn't like. There was a point, like I think I didn't even like produce barely any testosterone for like close to like six or seven years. Wow. So, like, I had no gas in the tank. I was just willing my way through life. Jeez. And I still, like, I still went to the gym all the time. Like, I did everything I could to stay productive. But then it was just like, what in the world is going on Mm. with my body? Mm. (laughs) And 
you know, it's like I, I still I think about it all the time, and like I, I always tell people, it's you know, after that moment, I was able to focus on real things because mm. I wasn't drained, I wasn't trying to find sleep, I was I was progressively starting to feel better over time to the point where I did. I felt like I finally hit equilibrium, and. Uh, you know, I started to get into a men's group. My wife and I, like our relationship got back on track. I was able to like have conversations without like these emotional like outbursts because I couldn't regulate like what was going on. Like it was just, I was totally like berserk. Mm. Um, and uh, I'll never forget, like, it was one of the first um, church services I ever went to, first sermon ever in uh the pastor was just talking about identity and finding your identity in Christ and, and being who you are, being what God made you, who God made you to be. And, and I was just like, yeah, like I thought I was living that. Like I thought I was like, man, I meant to be a Marine. Like I was still like kind of stuck in that. Like, ah, this is who I was supposed to be forever. Um, and the road's not supposed to be smooth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, it's not just going to be this, like, interstate that's smoothly paved. Like, you're going to go through a lot to figure out who you are. And one of the things that really caught my attention in that sermon, he said, if, if you're having a hard time figuring out who you are, look up the meaning of your name. He said, because God put that name inside your parents' head to name you before you were even here. And I was like, huh, makes a lot of sense. Like, so I did, I went home and I looked up my name and Amos means able to carry. Mm. And I saw mm. like everything I'd felt like and been carrying mm. and felt like I was burdened with and everything and still going and finding like persistence to keep going. And I reflected back like to the deer blind and it was like the first time I had wholeheartedly, truly meant when I cried out to God, like, show me, like, like you got to do something with me. Show me what I'm supposed to be doing. It's like the worst, one of the worst points of my life, he puts Danny in my life, who put Joey in my life, who put Randy in my life, who put Kara in my life, and now I'm back on track. And it was the first time I'd ever grabbed onto God and didn't let go. Mm. Wow. And it was, you know, and I look at that and it's like, and now I'm doing great. I have a wife and a kid, same wife, obviously, but I have a kid now. Life is good. And I'm using my struggles, my roadmap, my life as a roadmap to help other people navigate through their struggles and, and find peace and it doesn't matter how much you think you're going through or not going through or you can't compare it to somebody else's what you're going through only impacts you and it it's one of those things to where like your life can be a roadmap to help other people mm. your story your story. Yeah, it doesn't, you know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm. It's, it's not going to be 
how you anticipated it to be. I had to let go of all the control and be like, all right, God, you lead the way. And when he did, my life just kind of, it took off in the direction I was hoping it would for years. Mm-hmm. But I had to surrender to it. I had, I had to be like, you, you got this because I can't anymore. Like it, I've tried everything and it's, it hasn't always been easy. Like it's, and it's not ever going to be easy. The, the more you cling on the God, the harder the devil comes at you. Mm-hmm. The more he's going to try to derail you and discourage you, but you have to remember and stay committed, stay connected because you, you don't know, like you don't know what is in store for you. When you, you talk about that feeling you had in the deer blind, and then when you had it on the phone call, it makes me think of the Bible verse that talks about a peace that surpasses all understanding. And, and it's what God, God can only provide that. I mean, there's no way in that moment, that dark moment, that you could have that feeling of peace without God. I mean, that's... In, that's yeah. Gosh, it's the supernatural. Just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. And like I tell people that like it's not supposed to make sense. Mm. It's it, it lean not on your own understanding. Yeah, I still don't understand it, mm. but I trust it. Mm. And it's like I'm learning a whole lot about grace and forgiveness and salvation, and it, it's. It's one of those things that I don't care that I can't explain it. <laughs> I don't like there's there's like the amount of peace I found in in spiritual healing. Mm-hmm. No matter what you're going through, like when you have heartbreak, you have damaged your spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's your heart powers your body. If the heart stops, the body stops. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean broken heart broken spirit i mean it's all connected yeah and it's like put down the bottle put down the pipe put down the pills like it's a dead end i mean it 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 steals from you and and that was one thing where in the spiritual healing aspect of it i started to treat my body like a temple Mm. and i started feeding it right you know, I started investing in real things. Mm. And it's, you know, instead of being the retreating Christian that always runs back to God, now I stay connected. And and one of the, you know, one of my buddies that was in my men's group, we were talking about this and because he was like, man, I just have a hard time with, with, he's like, you know, I have a hard day and then I'll read my Bible and everything and, you know, it kind of makes it feel better. And I was like, why don't you switch that up? And this, it worked for me. I mean, I wake up, and I start my day in the word and let that dictate how my day's going to go versus mm-hmm. going through my day, hoping I'm not going to have to run back the word for rescue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and wow. it's changed how I view things in life, how I approach things in life, what I do, how I handle it. And there's a lot of peace in that. And it's not easy. I mean, a lot of stuff like, shoot, there was a lot of conversations with a lot of therapists that I never wanted to have when I have them, I was better for myself. Mm. I was better for my wife, for my kid, for my friends, for my family. And being able to talk about those things made life a lot more enjoyable. Mm. <laughs> so. Well, I have not heard the story. 
Can can we shift gears to this story of the, of the elk hunt? Speaking right. of the, your name meaning <laughs> able to carry. <laughs> so I, I've been waiting on this now, so I'm, I'm so excited to hear the story. It, you know, as we're recording, like this is going to be a two parter. Oh yeah. So uh, we're going we're going to break this up into two two parts, um, but this being part of the second part, let's hear this. This is apparently epic elk hunt. So, so this was October of 2017, I believe. And uh, Joey calls me. He's like, hey, man, I got this elk hunt, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to go on it. Something of that nature. And I'm like, what? Like, bro, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> No one gets given an elk tag and it doesn't go fill it. Right. Those are hard to come by. <laughs> like, yeah, like that's that's not an over-the-counter thing. And it was on a private ranch in like this premier place. And I'm like, why is it because you don't have any legs or something? Like I made a jab at him. <laughs> you know, like jab at me about, you know, it takes me on a deer hunt. Like I'm, I'm finding my way to jab back. <laughs> well, uh, I was like, look, man. When are you going out there or whatever, I'll meet you out there. So I get out there with him, and uh, we head out to Warland, Wyoming. Our friend Morgan lives there, and uh, Morgan was guiding him on the hunt. And uh, you know, it's, I want to say it's like 6,800 feet elevation or 8,000 feet. Of, I don't know. It's, it's up there. But I definitely was not prepared for it. That All I was thinking is, like, I'm going out there to help Joey. <laughs> well, uh. Joey doesn't have legs, so when you're going elk hunting in the backcountry, you need legs. Yeah. So I was Joey's legs that trip, and I was piggybacking him <laughs> during that week oh, <laughs> on this elk hunt. And uh, Joey and I became very close. Yeah, and, you did. And it's you know, it, you know, I tell people I'm like, he don't have legs, but that is a dense sucker. He's a big. Not a small dude. I Joey mean. still, man, he still <laughs> pumps iron and everything. Like he's a big old boy, and uh, man, that elk hunt, it, we became very close. <laughs> we got a in more ways than one. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, I mean, we're I'm handing him like like we're I'm got him on my back, but we're like getting him over barbed wire fences and, and whatnot. And like there was one point in the hunt where. I got him on my back and we're, you know, Morgan's already up there with the spotting scope and he's set up behind this juniper bush. And I'm like, oh, you're sucking wind. I got, <laughs> I got Joey on my back, dude. And I tripped over a rock. Dude. We just <laughs> onto the ground into a bunch of juniper bushes oh, and, no. and sage. And we're just laying there dying laughing. Morgan turns around. He's like, guys, like, there's elk right here. We're <laughs> losing it. The <laughs> <laughs> We're dying laughing. It was probably the most memorable hunting trip I've ever been on. But it was one of those things where I'm like, gosh, like, please let him get one today because I don't know if I can carry it tomorrow. <laughs> but he ended up killing a massive elk. And... I mean, it, it was it was one of those trips that, as a hunter, it changed my desire to want to hunt and help other people get it done. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, it really fueled me into, like, 
you know, I've always helped to um, to nonprofits that take veterans on hunting and fishing trips. One's uh, Field of Dreams, and the other one's Jeep Sullivan's Warrior Outdoors, and they take hundreds of veterans on trips all over the place. But it it was one of those trips that I look back on Joey and I still laugh about it to this day. Like did, the amount of times I dropped him. Did you have like, trekking poles? No, his his, his dang legs. <laughs> <laughs> They brought him a lean over real quick. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. It was so inappropriate to laugh at. But yeah, no, dude, me and Joey still cut up about it. But it's and you did, and they offered you a hunt, didn't they? Yeah. So the the guy who owned the ranch, Tim, um, he uh, Tim is a, a just incredible human being, and he had one of the nicest ranches i've ever seen like in wyoming i mean the scenery the the alfalfa field i mean the amount of elk we saw mule deer and uh i'll never forget tim was just like (laughs) the first time he met joey he was just like oh my gosh like incredible dude and i met tim and he didn't really know what i was there for he soon found out but yeah well so we had been hunting for like five or six days and uh hadn't gotten a bull yet and tim just had i mean i visually say he had a 2000 elk on his place at the time and he's like bring him over to my place and, and we'll we'll get him one over here and so it's like the last day of the hunt me and joey got to leave the next day mm-hmm. i was like please god I let this man knock down an elk. <laughs> my hips, my back, my shoulders, my, my feet. Back. <laughs> like, my back. Yeah. My back and my back. <laughs> and it was just one of those things like, you know, my wife was like, does anything hurt? I'm like, everything hurts. Everything. Like, everything hurts. We take Joey, um, we take Joey over to Tim's. We unload Tim was like, uh, he had a house that overlooked his ranch, and he was, he was, you know, drops us off at the gate. We get in there. Joey jumps on my back, and Tim just kind of looked at us like, Is this really happening? No <laughs> way. Like, there's no way this is happening. And Morgan's ahead of us. He's got the tripod, he's got the gun. Um, and like, I even filmed the whole thing. I, I was like, I had a camera with me too. So I'm backpacking and filming. Like, I was kind of doing everything I could to make it a memorable hunt. And uh, Tim was just looking at looking at us like, what in the world? Well, I had to hike Joey up this like ridge, around the side of it, down on the side of the hill that overlooked this green field, so we could shoot a bull. But it wasn't like it was a good distance to cover. And Morgan's like long gone. It's dark. Elk are bugling like everywhere. I mean, like we're walking. I guarantee there's elk within 15 yards of us, but it was dark. So like we couldn't see them and Jeez. they couldn't see us kind of thing. Wow. And it was so loud. I mean, like anytime they're bugling, I'm like, get out where Morgan is. <laughs> He's like, I'm just going to stay on this road and keep going around. I'm like, dude, 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 Like the sun finally peeks over uh, the mountain a little bit. We get a little bit of light. I got down to Morgan. And there were bulls everywhere, cows everywhere. I mean, to the point where like elk were coming out of bushes or out around juniper bushes, like fifteen yards in front of us, and being like, "Oh shoot, they're like, oh shoot, we're taking it off!" Like Jeez. it was nuts. And 
these two bulls were just sparring and just hammering each other. And anybody who's been up close with elk when they're sparring, it sounds like Louisville slugger baseball bats just cracking against each other. Mm. It is so loud. Mm. And we're trying to figure out, like, which one is he going to shoot? And we finally picked out this massive 6 by 6 And he stopped, turned sideways, and let out this massive bugle. Mm. And all of a sudden, you just hear, and that thing just fell over, right? I mean, jumps. Mm. Mm. And I'll never forget the look on Joey's face when that happened. Because it was like one dream come true. Uh. But it was... Like, just the week that we had had together. I mean, it was... Culminating in this huge... Yeah. Most beautiful morning of of the whole trip. When the sun came over, it was just... It it almost looked like sunset. Mm. Like, the sunrise was that beautiful. It was just like the light, how it was hitting the field, Joey's face, how it all came together. And then getting the elk out of the field and back up onto the high ground where Tim was and when Tim came around and just saw like how it all came together it it was a hunt I'll never forget (laughs) that's incredible and then Tim was like look man I I really appreciate what what you did for him I I have no idea he's like I got a tag for you come out next year Mm. Um, and I smacked him and it was a monster (laughs) it was a good one (laughs) like the biggest one I've ever seen I mean it was it was it was, a, was it a seven by eight or seven yeah, by seven by eight. Seven by eight. I mean, and I don't ever see one that's a the biggest I've ever seen. Like in people's houses, like six by six, five by six, something like that. Tim was a uh, God definitely blessed him with where he wow <laughs> this ranch and and Tim's a believer too. And just I yeah. mean, it, we got to see him on this road trip. I just got off. Oh, of that's and, cool. And man, he he just gave me the biggest hug, and it was just like man, it, it's it was. It's such a cool experience that, I mean, we're still talking about it years later. Wow, Man. Dude, that's a huge elk. That's a huge elk. Did y'all eat on that for a while. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Oh man, and this and this coming, you're going. Oh, well, I'm trying to trying to figure out how to get it in the house. Well, I could get it in the house. I just don't know if it fit anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna have to hang like low. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So. Well, Amos, man, this has been an incredible conversation, and thank you for sharing. Thank you for being so transparent, um, and not only that, but your service to the United States and to um, your family and to the Lord. Man, just glad to know you as a friend. Oh, man, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I mean, Absolutely. I, he's I one of the first people I met in Birmingham. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was all because of that that ruck. Yeah. It's like I got another guy with the Jesus Saves Bro hat on. I mean, uh, shirt on. Yeah. Oh, his wife's right down the hall. <laughs> yeah, seriously, across across campus. That's cool. I love uh, man, just bits of your story. You know, obviously, you know, we're we're the storied outdoors, and so like anytime we see like the outdoors bring, you know, bring people uh, healing or bring people. Uh, comfort or encouragement that's clearly a part of your story that being outside was you know it was kind of funny and I think back in the beginning of your story talking about you know being like a kid in school like I just want to be outside doing something you know yeah I mean that is really the place that we enjoy to be Uh, but to see the Lord use that and really you know answer your prayer you know in a very literal and 
somewhat strange way, like you yeah. know, unforeseen way. That's a really cool part. And man, I'm just thankful for that story. I can't imagine, you know, who you know, we don't we have no idea who listens to these, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, we, we got some, you know, mom listens to it, you know, <laughs> mom and them, but you know, people from all over do listen. And so there's no telling who'll, who'll hear this story. You know, obviously there's lots of people reading the book, but, but who'll hear the, your transparency and your walk with the Lord and what the Lord's done in your life. And so, man, I hope that's an encouragement to people as they hear this story. And again, like we, we, this season we'll have another, another cup pair of vets there were that joined us that we recorded with yesterday a similar story like a lot of people i'm afraid don't really understand what guys go through when they come back or when they get out of the service and so for those that are not impacted by that, that'll open their eyes up to go oh oh yeah that's what these i've never thought about what these guys go through when they they come out of the service and for those that have and and that do they'll go yes that's exactly right i'm thankful to hear that and be reminded of that story so thanks for sharing that we hope these stories encourage folks that listen and uh, we hope it challenges them uh, to write their own stories you you said it man your stories not only matter but that other people can learn from your story and so we hope that's that's what we're trying to accomplish on this podcast is record these stories for you know, ultimately our family, our kids, you know, to be able to listen to and for our kids to learn from, but then everybody else is just the cherry on top that listens to this podcast. And we're super thankful for everybody that does listen to uh, the podcast. And we hope you, you will take time to share this story. Maybe you have that person in your life that needs to hear what Amos shared. Uh, you'll take time to share this podcast, pass it along. That's really the best way to help us grow. You can leave us a review. Uh, you can also find out, we'll have some links to the organizations that you partner with. Uh, on on the website and so we can man, funnel people towards those things and uh and uh and then we'll have links for the book you know so people can buy the book and and get the word out about uh about this book that just came out and uh man we're just thankful that people listen people that leave reviews man it's been a huge blessing a lot of fun so we're thankful to get to do this podcast and i can't believe we get to hang out Hang out, not only, usually it's on Zoom, but we get to hang out in places like this today. I think that we every episode needs to be in this man room right here. <laughs> so next week? Next week. <laughs> you have to talk to the boss. Yeah, yeah. Courtney might have something to say about that. But, uh, but yeah, man, we let these stories inspire and encourage people to write their own stories, share their own adventures in the place we love to call Storied Outdoors. Redbeard's Outfitter is a Mobile, Alabama-based outfitter offering a carefully curated selection of gear and apparel, outfitting you for your next adventure, exploring our world, and building community. We love this local store, and we love supporting folks like them who are building community in the outdoor space. Plus, they have some spectacular apparel for Alabamians and all the gear anyone would need to be ready to enjoy the outdoors. Use promo code TSO for a 20% discount online or visit them in store. Visit redbeardsoutfitter.com for more information.